I'm Jacob Tackett. And I'm Dylan Curtis. And this is the I'm Wondering Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back. This is episode number eight of the podcast. It's pretty crazy. Uh, you know, the last couple of weeks, we've had some really heavy topics, you know, talking about race in the church. And so Dylan and I kind of wanted to do something a little light, something not as heavy, a little, little fun. And so, yeah, we wanted to just dive in a little bit on some fun topics. Oh, yeah. I think everybody can participate in this one. They, they know what this is about, don't they? Well, we haven't told them yet. Well, they'll know. Come on. <laughs> Surely you know now um, by at least the title of this podcast. So Dylan and I, like, you know what? Let's give them like our top-ish three favorite Bible characters. And I have to be honest, um, these aren't my top th- three most favorite, but I would say three of my favorite. Because I don't know if I can necessarily say my three favorite because I feel like there's a couple characters in the Bible that would be a cop-out, in my opinion, for us to do. Yeah, we avoided some of the big names that most people, of course, know a lot about. Um, you know, Jesus, the Lord and Savior. So, <laughs> we obviously, Jesus is our favorite, so don't be sending angry emails to us about it. But we figured, you know, we got to we gotta try something different, a little more creative here. Paul, Paul was also off, off limits. Yeah, you know, because... Everybody knows. Everyone knows who Paul is. So we uh, we're excited. Yeah, and I I I mean I love Peter. He's one of my absolute favorite characters in the Bible because, like myself, he says a lot of stupid things and regrets it. But I was like, everyone knows Peter too. Um, and I talked about it in my our podcast about tattoos that I have a a, a tattoo that. Um, it's an oil painting of Jesus and Peter, but so I was like, I better not do Peter also. So cut those off the table. So I guess without further ado, let's get after it. All right, so let's jump in. Dylan, you want to go first? Oh, yeah. I will kick us off. So my first Bible character, whom I love quite quite deeply, is the person of Job. 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 Job, Job if, you know, you first come across it as a high school kid, <laughs> like I did, uh, I called him Job, and then someone politely and kindly corrected me. So here's the thing about Job. Uh, for me, Job... The book of Job and the character of Job is actually where I first experienced the gospel, I would say. I was a high school kid dealing with some bipolar depression stuff, and Job just resonated with me as somebody who who faced this major trial when things were going well, um, who then went through a series of of questioning moments where he struggled to understand what life was about, the meaning of life, everything he thought was true and right, now feeling like, well, does it matter? Does it matter? And he suffered. 
And I felt like, for me, I felt like I had gone through a couple years of suffering. I was a normal kid, and then seventh grade came around, and I started experiencing these bouts of bipolar and depression and didn't know why. So for me, I really resonated with Job. And towards the end, when he encounters God and kind of has this amazing experience, that was sort of what I felt was happening in my life as I was going to church now and starting to read the Bible I felt like I was having this encounter with God and realizing that life was more than just our lived experiences um, and that there's a lot of comfort in who God is and how, how much more transcendent he is than us. So for me, there's a lot of hope and comfort in the book of Job and in the life of Job. So just a few things on Job because he's an interesting fella. Um, I will stake the claim and probably have some people mad at me if you're a literalist when you read the Bible. Uh, I believe Job was a fictional character. <gasps> bum, bum, bum. Here's the thing, people. Let's clarify this right now. All right. So there is factual truth, things that actually happened, you know, in history, the events that we know about that are documented. Then there is theological truth. So truth about who God is. So Job, in my estimation, on a historical level, is not, in fact, a real person. But on a theological truth level, what it teaches about God and about who we are, it's completely true. Mm-hmm. So that's my distinguishment, and, and that will probably come back up when we talk about other things in the Old Testament. So here's the fun thing about Job. His name means persecuted, which is very mm-hmm. fitting for what he goes through. Yes. And I would encourage all of you who read the Bible, always look up what the meaning of a name is, because there's a lot behind it usually. Uh, today's culture, it's just kind of like, I like the name Sally, so I'm going to name my kid Sally, which is fine. Name your kid whatever you want. But there was some significant meaning behind these biblical characters and their names. So I'd always encourage you, look it up. You'll be fascinated to learn what their names actually mean and how well they fit with who they are. So Job, I think, what I like about him, he's this proverbial man, so he lives kind of this perfect life, if you will. And the Jewish thought, if you lived... If anyone's read the book of Proverbs, if you live that way, it resulted in good things. So if you were to live perfect, if you will, which is what he's, God says he's perfect at the beginning, if you were to live all the ways you're supposed to live, life should go well for you. Well, that doesn't happen with Job. Things go sideways. His whole family dies. He loses all of his wealth, and now he's left all alone except for his wife who tells him to curse God and die because, you know, that's the right thing to do, I guess. But what I love is how raw he is. So this is what he says in Job 3, 25 through 26. For the thing I feared has overtaken me, and what I dreaded has befallen me. I am not at ease or quiet. I have no rest, for trouble has come. I appreciate just how authentic Job is in his pain and grief. Sometimes we live in a culture, I think, that kind of pushes that away or tries to to gloss over it and cover up. But really, Job's like, no, this is terrible. Like, what's going on is horrible, and I don't know how I'm going to make it. Yeah, not only that in our culture, but even more specifically in the church, in the local church. We are the first ones to be like, but God is good, and yeah. we're here for you, and we're praying for you, and just glossing over, basically saying your pain and your hurt doesn't matter because we serve a good God. Yeah, I think that's that's a tough thing for the church to face and realize is that we've kind of perpetuated at times like this, if you just pray, it's going to go away. Yeah. But, it, but 
as important as prayer is, we don't want to say prayers and it's very, very, very important. But to understand what you're going through and to embrace that is also very important. Um, and I think Job shows us that. Job, I, in my estimation, also shows us that God is a big God and can handle those moments, handle those questions, yeah. those those moments where you're like, what is going on? What is life? This is horrible. Um, which brings me comfort, because that's how I was feeling at that time in high school. And I think it also taught me that despite all that life can give us, when we encounter God, it's more important than any of our lived experiences or sufferings. Because at the end of the day, Job didn't get a clear answer from God on why this all happened. But he realized in encountering God how much greater that experience was than anything he had faced before, which I think will be the case when we encounter Jesus in the next life. And and to kind of sum that up, I think Job 42, 1 through 5 is, is great. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I just think that's a that's just a wonderful wonderful passage and one that brings me a lot of of hope and joy realizing, you know, I I do question God. I struggle with that. But at the end of the day to like see the Lord to experience God is it just covers all of that. Um so that's probably why I love Job. It's a good lesson in humility and worship. Yeah, absolutely. Man, I I love that story too. And now I kind of want to go back and read Job again mm. and just Dig in. Do it. But we'll see. Who's uh, who's up for you? All right. So I'm going to start off with, with my guy, Elijah. Elijah. Not Elisha. Elijah. Um, now, I like Elijah for um, quite a few different reasons here, um, but I'm just going to kind of dive in um, and give a little bit of background. So uh, as Dylan mentioned, and it's funny because we actually didn't plan, we didn't talk to each other about... Um, what we've kind of gone through. No. But my first point is what Elijah's name means. And Elijah's Elijah means my God is Yahweh. And that's just automatically right there, just a powerful statement of who Elijah is and what Elijah's going to do and what he stands for. Uh, but Elijah is the first great prophet of the northern kingdom of Israel. And for me, what's interesting about Elijah coming on the scene um, in First Kings, as the narrator just kind of has him appear, he doesn't say, "Hey, here's Elijah," and then give all of this background of who he is. He just is kind of on the scene. Ta-da! Ta-da! Here he is. And for me, what's also really cool about that that we'll get to here in just a few minutes is, for me, it's a little bit of a foreshadowing of what's going to happen to Elijah. Here's my air quotes at the end of his life. Wink, wink. Um, but Elijah was alive during the time when Baal, uh, a Canaanite god of storm, rain, and fertility, was gaining popularity throughout the kingdom. And that popularity was also um, happening within King Ahab um, in his palace. And so Elijah confronted King Ahab and told him that there was not going to be any rain or dew for quite some time. And what I mean by that is quite a few years. And that um, it wouldn't come until Elijah told him that it was going to happen. And so this was going to be, this was very offensive for King Ahab because, well, he worshiped a god of, that had power over rain. So he didn't really like that. And so we'll fast forward a little bit. Three years into this drought, 
um, Elijah comes back and tells King Ahab, Ahab that God sent him to come and challenge him. So automatically, you know, King Ahab already doesn't like him. There's been three years of drought, three years of them praying to this false god, and still nothing. And now Elijah shows back up on the scene and says, hey, I got a challenge for you. And King Ahab's probably like, um, I'm going to kill you. So let's figure this out. And so Elijah challenged Ahab to send 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah to meet him at Mount Carmel. And now we see in, in Bible in the Bible that these all these prophets showed up, and then a bunch of other people just showed up because they're like, um, what's all these people doing on the side of this mountain? Let's go and check it out. And so there's a whole lot of people standing around seeing 850 Canaanite prophets with the king and a prominent, beautiful, big altar built for Baal, and then this single, lonely-looking prophet of Yahweh with this ratty altar of ruins just sitting there. So they each, each of them, for um, you know, they got their altar together. They got their sacrifices prepped, but they didn't burn them. And so what they decided to do was that they would each pray on their own god, and whoever, whichever god answered, that would be the god who won and the actual true and real. God. So from morning into afternoon, these false prophets of Baal and Asherah, they're dancing, they're singing, they're praying, they're doing everything that they do in their rituals to try to call upon Baal to burn up this off offering. And what I love about Elijah is he starts taunting them. He's like, maybe he's in the bathroom, maybe he's taking a nap. And I resonate with that a lot because I'm sassy and <laughs> I get it. I like Elijah for what he's doing. Um, finally, Elijah kind of grows weary and ends up building his altar with 12 stones, symbolizing, symbolizing Israel's true identity. And from there, he take it, took it a little step further. He put the wood down, he put the bull on, and then he's like, hey, you know what? See these four big jars of clay? Why don't you go fill them up with water and bring them back to me? So they do that, and he pours the water on the, the wood and the bull and does that four more times until it is absolutely drenched. And so then Elijah prays to God, and God sends down fire, consumes the altar, and he proves that his God is the actual true and real God. And what happens next is crazy. So holy war. There, when holy wars happen, something the end result is whoever loses, the survivors are punished to death. So Elijah seizes all of the prophets of Baal and Asherah, and they die. Wow. Yeah, it is. It's pretty intense um, because it was an Israelite uh, law against apostasy, and apostasy is just like this defection or departure. And so they're, you know, they're praising and um, following a false god, and so they got punished for it. Um, so what really makes me love Elijah next is what happens next. And so you would think after this huge, awesome, great victory that Elijah's on cloud nine, he's going to tell everybody what happened. He's going to go on to continue to do really awesome things and take on the world. But instead, the opposite happened. Um, Queen Jezebel found out um, what happened to all of her favorite prophets. Mm. Yep. And yeah. she's like, um, y'all, I need him. Go find him. I'm trying to kill him. And so he got scared. He ran away and hid and was like, hey, God, um, I think I just want to die. Just let me die here. Kill me. Um, and so why is Elijah my f a favorite Bible character of mine? I'm ready to hear this. 
for me, Elijah is a great reminder um, of what we can accomplish um, in the kingdom when we fully rely on God. When we are in tune with what God wants for our life and we have a thriving, healthy relationship with Him, we have the capabilities to do immeasurably more than what we can do on our own. Even when we're scared, even when we're fearful, when we lean into what God has called us to and trust and believe what He has for us, we can do things even in the face of adversity. And I think Elijah is the proof of that. I also think uh, he was a great prophet. Um, so great that he didn't die. Bum, bum, bum. Um, it's one of the coolest stories. Um, we also see this uh, in the New Testament. We see both John the Baptist and Jesus being associated with Elijah. And I think that's pretty powerful. I think that's a testament to the great things that Elijah did. Um, so Elijah didn't die. Um, God like sent down this chariot of like fire and just like scooped him up. And that would be amazing to, to see. It would be so dang cool. Um, which is why I kind of want Revelation to be real. But snatching him up. Um, so yeah. So he just came on the scene. Elijah was on the scene, and then he was off the scene like that. And I think that's really cool. Um, Elijah also captured the thoughts and prophetic hopes of later generations, even hundreds of years. Later, um, we're still talking about him, still talking about the great things he did. And so for me, um, it's a legacy that I inspire to have. Someone who, yeah, he had some highs, and then he kind of tanked for a little while, but he got back up and did really great things for God's kingdom. And that's, um, for me, that's inspiring, and that's someone that I want to, to be like. Yeah, Elijah's awesome. He's the man. I can't imagine facing what he faced. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was... I think if you can correct me if I'm wrong, he was considered the like only righteous person left in the entire kingdom. <laughs> so uh, face those odds. Face those. Yeah. And that, deal with that pressure. Oh, yeah. I mean, geez. Thankfully, God is with him, was Amen. with him, and with us. Well, I think that's a good segue. Speaking of Israel, my next character is Sarah. Sarah. Which you might call the mother of Israel. Uh, So Sarah, of course, was the wife of Abraham, uh, the one who God called from his his people, his uh, pagan people, and started essentially what would become the Israelite uh, nation. So I like Sarah for a lot of reasons. Uh, Her name means princess, which is very fitting. Oh, yeah. What do you know? I didn't know that. Um, And even her name, Sarai, I don't know if that's how you say it, I've always... I've always wondered. That also still means princess. So um, pretty cool. Part of being, um, what, what what am I getting at here? That's a good question. I'll get there. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Um, yeah, Sarah, okay, that's all right. <laughs> we're going to leave this in because we're human and we're we make human. mistakes. Let's go. So uh, Sarah, of course, wanting to be the mother of Israel, as God had promised, you kind of need a son, right? I mean, that's a, you know, part of the whole MO here. Uh, Sarah was struggling quite heavily to conceive. She couldn't conceive. They thought she was completely barren, um, which got so bad that she, of course, gave her handmaiden Hagar to Abraham to have a child, which they did. Um, But here's the thing about Sarah. Uh, She still held on to hope. She still thought she was going to have a kid, but at the same time, she didn't believe it at all. And that's part of why I like her. Um, I, 
I think what's interesting here, just there's a series of events from Genesis 17 through 21. So I'm going to read some of these scriptures. Um, so this is God's promise to Abraham about Sarah having a kid. Genesis 17, 17, Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? So obviously Abraham's also on the like, this is ridiculous. He laughs. Yeah. I mean, you don't laugh when you're taking serious what someone says, right? I mean, I'm also I mean, not you... trying to have a kid at like 90. Yeah, that's that's a whole ordeal <laughs> in itself. Uh, but here, God, we see again, reassures them once more. There's there's three men who show up at this tent that Abraham and Sarah are in, um, and the Lord is also there. Um, but this is what it says in Genesis 18, 10 through 15. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. I mean, she's 90, so yeah, I would call that past the age of childbearing. A bit. Yeah, just a bit. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, my Lord is Abraham, um, just so people know, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah's afraid. This is awesome. I love this part. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, the Lord, uh, yes, you did laugh. You laughed. Uh, it's like, oh, no, I didn't do that. As if you're going to somehow hide the fact from God. Uh, so Sarah, what I think I've faced with Sarah is a couple things. Um, I call laughing at God, um, and by that I mean God doing the thing you think is not possible. Um, Elijah is a good example. Yeah. Um, I know for me where I resonate most is there's been a couple th- events in my life that I w- I laughed at God, felt like I was laughing at God, saying, yeah, right, that's not going to happen. One was my call to ministry. I was like, yeah, that's, that's adorable. There's no way I'm going to go into ministry. I'm not qualified, capable, whatever it is, list them all off. I didn't think that was possible. God made a very clear way, um, so he got me with that one. Uh, the, uh, one of the other things was when I left one of my churches, I was like done with ministry, period, didn't want anything to do with it. I was ready to go into like counseling and just help counsel people. There was no way I was going to be a pastor full-time ministry, no way. I was done. So uh, I laughed at God and ended up at Faith Community. So there you go. And then, and then the last is my wife. I was like, there's no way this this woman's going to want anything to do with me. There's no way. She's like, she's too kind. She's too joyful. She's like, she's almost the opposite of me in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, she was sporty, which I'm not. Uh, you play tennis. You're sporty. I mean, I played tennis, but by the fact that she taught me how to play tennis, I wasn't out there like going to tournaments on my own. Right. <laughs> she was. I just didn't think it was possible, so I just laughed. I was like, "There's no way." And here we are, married. married. We, we just had our second anniversary. Ooh. About to go to Palisade to celebrate. Let's so. Uh, those are just some of the reasons I love Sarah because I've laughed at God. I've thought, "Yeah, right. That's not going to happen." And then God's like. Watch me. As he says in, what is it, verse where he says, in 14, 18, 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? Uh, the answer to that is no. No. An absolute no. Uh, and I've learned many, many times 
that it's ridiculous for, for me to think that, yet I still struggle and think that sometimes. Yeah, and yet again, another great example um, both with Sarah, probably physically and mentally at a low spot in her life, and Elijah at a very low spot in his life, and God still does not give up on us. And I think there's a lot of power in that, and that'll preach all day. All day. Well, cool. Before I jump into my second, we'll take a quick little break here. Give your ears a, a little break, and we'll jump in with a few more. All right. Welcome back. Um, I'm going to go ahead and jump into my second uh, a second favorite Bible character of mine, and I'm going to start out by reading um, a little piece of scripture here, um, and that will probably help you understand who my next favorite character is. So we are going to open our Bibles to Acts chapter 16, and I'm just going to start with um, verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. One of these listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira, Thyatira? Close enough. named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So if you haven't guessed, my next favorite character is Lydia. Um, So many scholars believe that Lydia was the very first convert to Christianity in Europe. She was converted to Christianity through... uh, you guessed it, the Apostle Paul. Um, way to go, Paul. Way to go, Paul. Um, Lydia was a Gentile who worshipped as a Jew, which is so fascinating to me. I want to learn more. Um, I didn't have enough time to dig into that very much. Um, I, that was something that I learned, um, li- uh, learning more about Lydia. Yeah, I had no idea. That I think is really cool. Um, Lydia was a prosperous merchant who sold royal purple cloth to the rich. Um, purple is a very prestigious color, um, one that is hard to come by, one is hard that's hard to dye, and so it cost a lot of money, and so she earned a lot of money selling that. Um, as we kind of read here in Acts 16, she was baptized and converted to Christianity, and then Paul um, did something really cool that I absolutely love. So as we read, you know, she invited um, Paul and Silas to come into their home come into her home, and it, it says at the end, and she persuaded us. And so she was very persistent, really wanted them to, to come to her house. And so Paul and Silas used her home af- after she invited them to as a center for their ministry while they were in town. So that's a that's like all we get of Lydia. Like that's the only little section that we really under- get some background of hers. And so you may be wondering, yeah, that's really not all that important, Jacob. Why is she a favorite character of yours? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Um, So why is she a favorite of mine? Well, she's a favorite of mine because Paul broke down some Jewish customs and elevated the leadership of a woman. And I absolutely love that. I'm here for it. So let me be clear. Women are valuable. They deserve to have a seat at the table and 100% belong in the pulpit and making decisions in the church. 
Amen. At me. I'm ready. You can at me too. Let's go. I'm wondering podcast at gmail.com. I'm here for it. Um, another reason why I love her is we see here some of her generosity. I think that's something a lot of us lack, and I think we have a misconception of what real generosity is. Um, I think it's easy for us to say, well, I tithe, and that's my way of being generous. And hundred percent. That is absolutely being generous with, with what God has given you. Um, but for me, generosity is more than that. Generosity is a heart issue. Um, and generosity isn't just us throwing our resources at something. It's, it's putting our feet in the game. It's putting some skin in the game, putting our, getting our hands dirty. Um, and I'm not great at it a lot of the time. Uh, yeah. I've come to wonder in our own culture, if it's not money, but time, that is the bigger sacrifice for people. Uh, it is for me. Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. A lot of the time. But we see, you see, when she invited Paul and Silas to use her house as a center for their ministry, she opened up her home to strangers coming in and out, eating her food, drinking her water, and drinking her wine. And if you know anything about me, that's important. You love wine. I love wine. And so, like, I don't just, like, let anyone drink my wine. And she was like... Here, come into my house. I don't care who you are. Um, I love God. God has given me a lot, and I'm generously offering that up to people. You see, she opened up her pocketbook and her life to allow God's work to be done. And for me, that's super inspiring, uh, something that I strive and want to be like, um, someone who's super generous, super hospitable, and just saying, hey, look, this is what God has blessed me with. How can I use that to bless everybody else? Mm. And yeah, so it's something... That I struggle with, but also something that I aspire to be like. Yeah, that's awesome. I want to be like Lydia, too. I want to be like Lydia. Way to go, Lydia. Go, Lydia. You know, speaking of struggle, uh, I think that's very convicting, um, the life of Lydia. And I think it leads to a sense of wrestling with God, which is a perfect segue into my final Bible character, which is Jacob. Hey, that's me. That is you, but it's not you. It's the Jacob of the Old Testament. Yeah. Don't don't get ahead about it, man. <laughs> and I wanted to say this, something I intended to say earlier. Uh, mine are all Old Testament, uh, and that's kind of on purpose. I think the church is really good at knowing the New Testament and knowing the New Testament people, and I kind of mentioned that. Uh, but I think the Old Testament is extremely valuable. Uh, hopefully, at this point, we've convinced you that it has something to teach um, and something to preach. So I, I hope and would encourage you, the Old Testament can be intimidating, but it is a testament, um, and it does testify to who God is and who the person of Jesus is um, and God's Holy Spirit. So uh, just take some time, read it. It's It might be hard, but it's worth it. Anyways, Jacob, not you, Jacob. Oh, I was about to say yes. The other Jacob. So Jacob, we find Jacob in Genesis 25 through 49. Uh, he's actually more in Genesis than Abraham himself, which is the father, right, of the Israelites. So it's pretty pretty wild that Jacob is more prominent, or at least more of his life is documented. So here's what Jacob Jacob's name means. It means to follow or to be behind, or it can mean to supplant, which is, of course, what ends up happening. So Jacob steals the birthright from his brother Esau, who came before him. They were twins, but Esau came out first. Uh, And his father is Isaac, which is the son of Abraham. Um, So he steals that birthright by deceiving his father Isaac, 
Uh, he puts like some hair on himself because Esau was known as a hunter. Jacob was certainly not a hunter. Um, so his mom, Rebecca, helps him do this. Uh, what's interesting um, is early on in the story, uh, God actually tells Rebecca that this is going to happen. So she's aware that this deception, um, she doesn't know what form it will take, but she knows that Jacob is somehow going to take the birthright from his older brother Esau. Um, what would happen after is that Jacob would flee uh, to be with some relatives and eventually end up at his uncle Laban's house, um, which, you know, I guess if you believe in karma, which I don't, um, but I still think it's, you know, pretty funny. Uh, Laban deceives Jacob. So the deceiver is thus deceived. So there's some maybe some divine retribution. Yeah. Retribution, I can speak. <laughs> I try at least. So anyways, he works for seven years for Laban because he wants to marry Laban's daughter, Rachel. Uh, let's be clear here. We don't marry... This is a first cousin, I would assume. Mm-hmm. We don't do that anymore. I know it's. we might look back and go, that's really weird. And it, it is by our standards, but that's our standards. So don't just get all creeped out by it, all right? <laughs> Uh, so what ends up happening is that Laban passes off Leah instead of Rachel. Uh, this, of course, makes Jacob real real sad because he's very taken with Rachel. Uh, but Laban works it out and says, well, that's fine. You can work another seven years, and then I'll give you Rachel. So he works for his uncle for 14 years mm. to get the, the woman he, he wanted. Um, here's the thing about Jacob as well. He's he's one of the patriarchs, like Abraham, Isaac. He's he's Jacob. And whenever you read throughout the Old Testament and into the New, when they're talking to the Jews, they say, you know, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're kind of these three pa- patriarchs to the Israelites. Um, so very important character within the Jewish community and throughout Scripture. Um, for the sake of time, I won't go into much more. There's a lot to Jacob's life. If you don't know it, I'd encourage you to read it. Of course, as I said, Genesis 25 through 49, um, there's good stuff. But what I love about Jacob and why I picked Jacob is that he wrestles with God in Genesis 32, 22 through 31. And I'm going to just read verses 22 through 29. It says, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the, the Jabbok. Sounds almost like a Star Wars planet, let's be honest. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob. He answered. Then the man said, oh, sorry, Jacob, he answered. I should read that better, huh? Then the man said, you will, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So it's interesting. We learned what Jacob's name meant. What Israel actually means uh, is wrestle with God, struggle with God, which people always think, oh, how are the Israelites so (laughs) stubborn? Well, this is the namesake right here. They wrestle with God (laughs) just a little. wrestle and struggle with God. Uh, So it makes more sense when you look at it that way. 
But for me, I've had plenty of moments of wrestling with God. It's similar to the Sarah stuff, laughing at God, where it's like, yeah, right, this isn't going to happen. Um, but I've, I've wrestled with God over many things. Uh, I remember there was a time in college where I felt pretty like stuck on two things. And I prayed about those. One was the band I was in, and one was, was the girlfriend I had at the time. Um, and both of those within a month went out of my life. <laughs> uh, so be careful what you pray for. But I felt like I had been wrestling with God for a while over that. I wanted his blessing, and I was almost trying to force his blessing into my life, um, which, you know, sometimes wrestling with God is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it teaches us a lot, but I, what I enjoy is that he, he doesn't go unscathed, right? He may get blessed, but he, he's got a limp now. There's, there's some uh, scars there, and oh, I yeah. think there's some scars in my life from wrestling with God in a good way, um, but there was a price when I've wrestled with God. So for me, that's why I love Jacob. I think it's a great testament to sometimes we wrestle with God. God will win, uh, obviously, um, but it teaches us a lot in the process and I think leaves a lasting mark, if you will. Yeah, that's good, and a great reminder that it's okay Let's let's take these difficult things to God and let's wrestle yeah, them with it. Absolutely. Even when we disagree, like let's take it to God and like, hey, I I'm I'm pissed about this. Let's let's wrestle it out. Let's, I am pissed. Let's talk about it. Cool. So I'm gonna jump in um, and kind of breeze through here uh, on my last favorite character of the Bible, and funny enough, it's another Old Testament character. <gasps> We're six for six Old Testament here. Well, isn't Lydia New oh, Testament? Oh, Lydia's New Testament. You're right. Come on, man. Uh, <laughs> let's cut that out. Cut that out there. No, nope, no, nope, we're keeping it. <laughs> um, we're five for six here. Um, yeah, anyways. Uh, my favorite, third favorite here today is going to be Joshua. Um, so Joshua was the son of Nun, and I just love that name, Nun. Uh, and so this provides a model of faithful obedience to the Lord's Law. I love a good law. Um, he's first mentioned in the Bible when soon after the departure from Egypt, Moses designated him to defend Israel from the attack of Amalek. That's another fun name, Amalek. Amalek. Uh, so, fun fact, Joshua is not his original name. What? What? Um, Joshua was originally named Hoshea. Okay. I think that's how you pronounce it. Sure. Sure. Which means may Yahweh save, which is really cool. It's a great, great meaning for a name um, and very foreshadowing. Uh, but Moses renamed him Joshua as a way to signify that if he was going to be victorious in the future, in these future battles, as the future leader of Israel, he would have to depend fully on God fighting the battles for him. So a few things about Joshua. He led the people across the Jordan River on dry land, just as Moses had done with the people of Israel through the Red Sea, which is really cool. Um, Joshua had many victories and did many great things for the Israelites. Um, like I said, can't get into everything here because we'd be here all day. And all day. Be. All day. <laughs> um, but why is, he my, why is he a favorite of mine? Why is Joshua a favorite? Well, Joshua's a favorite because he stepped into lead um, in a time in Israel's history that the people really didn't want a new leader. Uh, they were happy with Moses. They loved Moses. Um, but instead of backing down, Joshua stepped up to the plate, and I think he re- led really, really well. 
For me, Joshua is proof that when we lean into our giftings and fully lean on God, we have the power to do incredible things that we cannot do on our own. Mm. And I also think that Joshua is an optimistic and strong leader, something that I strive and desire to be. Um, And lastly, uh, why Joshua is a favorite of mine is I think there's three big characteristics that Joshua had as a leader that I strive to have as a leader. The first one is bravery. Uh, We see this attribute almost immediately. Uh, As a spy was sent to obtain a report on the promised land, 10 of the men were terrified by what they saw, but Joshua and Caleb, they didn't see it as a problem. Um, And for me, a great leader faces adversity head on and they're brave in difficult situations. Next is integrity. Joshua knew how to follow orders. Uh, From the battle of Jericho onward, he continued to follow the Lord's instruction to the letter. A great leader for me, he gets the job done without skipping any of the assigned tasks that are given to them. And so for me, I try to live a life of integrity. Um, Sometimes I fail. Um, Oh, we all do. Especially, I'm always like, yeah, I'll, we'll get into that another time. We'll do a podcast on integrity <laughs> um, and how to live an integrous life and the difficulties of that. Um, and I feel like the last uh, big characteristic of Joshua uh, that I strive to have is faith. Uh, for Joshua, he didn't need a lot to be convinced to do something. If the Lord wanted it done, Joshua believed that it would happen. And for me, a great leader understands their call and assumes God will take care of the details. Um, that doesn't mean that we don't participate in the details, um, but we have a faith and an assurance that God is going to take care of us and provide. And I think that's something that Joshua embodied really, really well. And that's something that I strive for on a daily basis. That's really good. Hmm. That's lot, our top Lots to think six. about. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, at this point, I, I think it needs to be said, we shoot for 25 to 30 minutes, but in reality, sometimes we go over. So if you bear with us, hopefully it's worth it. I don't want to speak for you. Also, don't speak for me. Just an FYI to the world out there. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't like that. I don't. It it kind of drives me crazy. But anyways, uh, sometimes we'll go long. But it's all good. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, we want to know your favorite Bible characters. Um, you can hit us up on Facebook. You can hit us up on Instagram. At I'm wondering podcast, or you can shoot us an email at I'm wondering podcast at gmail dot com. Is there uh, anything you're wondering before we close? Yeah, uh, I'm wondering what are you reading right now? What you got? Well, since I'm in seminary, nothing that I personally chose to read. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not great. Yeah. Um, there's lots of books. I mean, we for my Christian doctrine class, we probably read from four or five books a week. Uh, we don't read four or five books a week, right. but we read from. And one of the ones I just finished was from J.P. Moreland. Uh, it is called Love the Lord Your God with All Your Mind, and it talks about the role of faith and reason within the life of a believer. Um as you can imagine, if you've listened up to this point, you understand that I'm a really big uh, mind kind of person. Uh, I enjoy the mind. I love the mind. Um, so it was just a good reminder of how important it is for us to not only love God with all of our hearts and all of our soul, but also with our mind, that the entire person is an essential part of experiencing God, experiencing transformation. Uh, so it just really encouraged me to... 
you know, I really want to bring more education back to the church. Yeah. Uh, I think we've taken a step back in the recent 20 years uh, and have been kind of anti-intellectual um, in terms of worshiping God with our mind. So I'd like to see this podcast as part of that. I'd like to see us step back into that um, and talk about not just Scripture, but some of the important doctrines like the Trinity, um, God's divine attributes, things like that, which I believe have a significant impact on who we are as believers uh, and and our ability to witness to people, because those kind of questions come up. Yeah. yeah. The role of seminary and the church. Yeah, that's, that's a good. fun one. So for me, I'm reading a book that I didn't think I would like very much. It's a good book. But I love it so much. It's called The Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark. And it's probably actually not what you guys think. And so what Stark does is he takes each chapter a different, maybe like socioeconomic or Mm -hmm. something that's happening in the world that was the spark or a catalyst for driving the rise of Christianity in ancient um, uh, epidemics are in there too. Epidemics are in there, um, which was fascinating. Um, it was actually really cool. Um, one of my favorite chapters was um, Christianizing the ur- uh, the Urban Empire and uh, Chaos and Crisis, the city of Antioch, and it just talks about how um, like earthquakes and hospitals of in the Christian communities and um, how small the cities were and how gross they were and how. Um, compact they were helped facilitate the growth of Christianity. Mm -hmm. And it is fascinating. Um, So that's what I've been reading. Um, It's really cool. I get to write a paper on it now. Um, I tried asking Dylan to give me his paper, but he said no. Yeah, I've already taken a class that that Jacob is currently taking. So I read the book. I have my paper, but you know. (laughs) That's that integrity piece of Joshua that I'm trying to live into. Yeah, you can't just have it. Plagiarism is bad, people. Don't do it. Yeah, don't do it. Write your own stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm Jacob. And I'm Dylan. And this is the I'm Wondering Podcast. 